Hi, I'm Ken. And I'm Dee. And this is Antiques Freaks. Podcasting forever. What antiques are we talking about this week? Plastic blow mold decorations. Right out the gate, I gotta say, my favorites are Halloween blow molds. Oh, keep Halloween in your heart really round. And of course, the recently passed phenomenon of Christmas blow molds, which is when my interest began in them, actually. A blow mold may be known by various other names. A light up, plastic lawn art, kitschy garbage. <laughs> illuminated figures, but the appropriate term will always be a blow mold. So what does it look like? Is it larger than a bread box or smaller than a bread box? Well, it actually comes in a variety of sizes, but the standard size is generally dog-sized, as it was meant to be a lawn decoration. So my cousin has a bull mastiff. There's definitely some blow molds bigger than that. And my mom's neighbor owns a chihuahua. So on that particular scale of dog size, where does it fall? Both. I am having an extreme amount of difficulty visualizing this object. You have perhaps a small piggy bank for a child, a treat pail in the shape of a jack-o'-lantern, a nightlight in the shape of a popular character, perhaps Minnie Mouse, a child height three-foot Santa Claus meant to be displayed on your roof, a life-sized Santa sleigh meant to be displayed on your front lawn, all of these things can come from blow mold. So the distinguishing feature is not its shape or its size or its intended purpose, but rather its method of manufacture? Very much so. Okay. The history of blow molds is actually a very old one, although we came to really know them in the 1950s. The first patent was actually released in 1881, frighteningly to the celluloid novelty co. Oh, on fire decorations. <laughs> I assume it didn't take off because large chunks of flimsy plastic that easily caught fire were not everyone's favorite. No? <laughs> I, I, um, yeah, I think so. Huh. And in 1938, Enoch Ferngren and William Kopitke utilized the technology to create a variety of new plastic products. The method of making it is that it is molten plastic blown into a two or three part mold and compressed in there with a hose. So it's a bit like a blow mold for glass. Almost exactly like a blow mold for glass. The resulting product is lightweight, colorful, and weather fast. Which perhaps explains why it made the immediate jump to lawn decor. Is this what made pink plastic long flamingos possible? What an interesting question! The next character I need to introduce into this history in 1957 is Don Featherstone. Definitely not a bird in disguise. Definitely not a bird. A human, human man Don Featherstone. He was a Massachusetts boy. He was born in Worcester, perhaps one of the few good things to come from Worcester. Ah, Worcester. He graduated from the Worcester Art Museum and took a job designing three-dimensional animals for a company called Union Products, a company that produced pretty much just plastic animals. Wow. Shortly after taking his post at Union Products, he was asked to sculpt a duck. His method was to purchase a duck. <laughs> Oh no. The living quack quack type. Oh no, is this duck about to get dunked in plastic? No, he used it as a model. He sculpted the original. Oh, okay, thank God. Jesus. No, he, yeah, he, he sculpted the blank that the mold was made from. Oh my God, don't be so grim. I don't fucking know. Factory safety standards were non-existent. The duck was very happy. It was later released to a park to have a variety of ducky friends. And be eaten by a hawk. Well, maybe, but that's the circle of life. <laughs> That part was not Don Featherstone's fault. Yeah, it lived in his bathtub while he created the master for the mold. That's adorable. Due to the success of his beautiful duck mold, he was asked to carve another bird. 
Ken, do you know what bird we might be talking about? Is it a muflingo? It's a muflongo. The flingo mean flingo. <laughs> the great muflingo. He, uh, he didn't buy one of those. No? No, he just got a bunch of issues of National Geographic and sculpted it based on that. Which answered a really old question I had, which was that I was always surprised that pink flamingo lawn ornaments were surprisingly accurate. <laughs> To the shape of an actual muflingo. Yeah. And the reason being, thanks, Nat Geo. Yeah, thanks, Nat Geo and Don Featherstone's rigorous artistic vision. And this is the product that, for whatever reason, really set off kitsch lawn plastic ornaments and Donald Featherstone's career. He would stay at Union Products for the entirety of his life. He would eventually own the company, assume CEO position, and continue working until his death. Damn. Union Products, as a result, became the absolute master of blow mold decorations. He was also really well known for wearing matching outfits with his wife. That's cute. In the morning, they would race to their cowbird, and whoever got there first got to decide what they both wore. That's a little weirder. It's still cute. <laughs> they were very much in love. In fact, Featherstone's flamingo in particular became so wildly beloved that the signature that was inscribed on the original plastic mold was removed from the mold in 2001. It was replaced that same year because of a boycott of unsigned flamingos. What? People did not want any plastic flamingo. They wanted Don Featherstone's plastic flamingo. Wow. I want a genuine plastic flamingo. <laughs> As you might be aware by all of those words I just said, most of the products at Union Products were designed by Don Featherstone. Although no one ever seems to remember his turkey. Now, did he just trace his hand for that one, or? <laughs> I would, God, I would buy that in a heartbeat. I don't care how much it cost. I know, right? Don Featherstone himself attributed the frothing desire for blow mold lawn decor to its similarity to a rich person's sculpture garden at a fraction of the price. I guess that is why it makes me almost as depressed as those, like, house cat-sized concrete lions you can get at any home and garden store. I don't know why either of those things would make you depressed. That's a strange thing to feel. Although it's valid and I respect it. <laughs> Live your truth and feel your feelings, but that's a, that's a first for me. You're valid, but fuck if I get it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah. And he had a point. That is why a lot of these things were just beautiful animals. Was just It was a way for people to flex and decorate their yard the way the upper class might. In that case, why not plastic peacocks? There were plastic peacocks. Oh, there were. These would also include a hole. Sorry, what? <laughs> there, the hole included a uh, light bulb clip so that they could light up around the 60s when outdoor lighting became a thing. And the craze intensified very recently with the closure of General Foam Plastics Corp. Once a running competitor of Union Products, they shut down in 2017, which led to a furor to acquire as many of their models as possible. There was the assumption that there would be no more. That feels like a dumb assumption. No offense. It's not like the best assumption. <laughs> One of the collectors that was commenting on it did liken it to the Beanie Baby craze and said yep. that it wasn't going to get anyone anywhere. Um, <laughs> but in addition to a rising sense of nostalgia and people who grew up in the 70s and 80s becoming more and more involved in the purchasing market, that was kind of a way to whip people into a resurgence of adoration of the humble blow mold. 
Did you have low molds around you when you were a kid? There was a service locally that you could pay to fill someone's lawn with pink flamingos overnight as a prank. That's weird. You'd call these people and give them like, I don't know, a hundred bucks and then you'd give them an address and then overnight they would make flamingos appear on that particular lawn. I don't think my town was the only town to offer this service. No, I've heard of it in other ways. I've seen it as a fundraiser for schools, actually. That tracks. I believe it was an April Fool's prank at a natural history museum where they decorated a T-Rex skeleton to look like it had been picked clean by flamingos. Delightful. <laughs> but like, you guys didn't have Christmas decoration for the lawn that was a blow mold? No, people mostly have like wicker deer. Man, you guys are rustic. <laughs> We actually had a pretty old um, blow mold Santa Claus that I'm told when I was younger and when the Christmas season came around, I would actually just sort of hang out with it like it was an old pal. Aww. This is a repeating thing in my life. I would do this again with pool toys. Just chilling with your buds. Yeah, I would just like read to it, just sit next to it, hang out. Um... <laughs> Which maybe contributed to my almost feral love of Christmas imagery. You know it might, yeah. Santa Claus was a friend of if mine. If Plastic Santa was your only <laughs> friend over the holiday season, yeah. That might explain a lot about you as a person, actually. Well, okay, okay. To clarify, my parents didn't, like, leave me in a room alone with the blow-up, with the blow-mold Santa. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, Christmas are the most common blow-molds, but there are a variety of unusual and unique blow molds that perhaps you hadn't thought about. In fact, one of the most valuable blow molds is a Featherstone Dracula that stands at about three feet high, which is terrifying. He's a little Dracula. I had the honor of seeing one sell at an auction recently for $500. Hot damn. There's also the Frankenstein and Frankenstein's head, which are both fantastic. And also a church. That's right. A simulacra of a small church. Oh, okay. Not like a church built with each individual brick blow molded out of plastic. No, like a little playhouse type church that lights up. Aww. In the New England style, of course, given Mr. Featherstone's roots. So like not a deeply depressing mega church? No, like a cute little, like Unitarians actually have most of the quaint churches that are iconic around here, actually. For some reason we build them to look like castles. Yeah, and the little white ones are always Methodist. I don't know what their deal is. Well, they're Methodists. So start there. <laughs> Another reason for the popularity of a blow mold is because with proper care, or none at all, they last a really long time, as plastic is wont to do. These things were made generally to be weather fast and to be left out on your lawn for weeks to months at a time. For your child to hang out with. For your kid to just hang out. Sometimes you couldn't put it on the lawn because your kid was like, no, that's my friend. <laughs> Which kind of makes them like a de facto heirloom. This was my great-grandfather's best friend when he was growing up, and now it's mine. <laughs> they require very little care, aside from, like, don't store them in a hot attic, and don't hit them with a hammer. So, standard antiques advice. <laughs> it's really, like, that's where I like to start with all antiques, is don't hit it with a hammer, don't put it in your hot attic. <laughs> This is a unique area in which, while I wouldn't say you're encouraged, you don't lose a ton of value with a repaint. Oh. Now, factory paint is, of course, most desirable. Even the little wonky ones where their eyes are on, like, seven different sides of their heads. Biblically accurate Santa. <laughs> but a lot of them, left in garages over time, uh, just don't have paint on them anymore. And in that situation, it's completely acceptable to repaint them. Why? Because you can take that paint off and paint it again. 
My absolute favorite repaint I found while researching this was a very manky Joseph from the manger painted into a wizard and then and added back into the regular manger, manger scene. Excellent. <laughs> very good. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you can have a lot of fun with it. It kind of made me want to rehab old blow molds a little bit. It's very inspirational. Yeah, you can use a plastic-friendly spray paint fusion all-in-one by Krylon, which, applied with a light hand, will obtain the translucent effect necessary to let light shine through. Ooh. And you can use LED light bulbs instead of the incandescent ones that were originally packaged with them. They last much longer, they don't use as much power, and they don't get hot and melt your blow mold. It's also surprisingly easy to fix them if they do get cracked. Just use epoxy adhesive. Doesn't even have to be two-part. Because it'll just melt it back together? It'll just melt the plastic right back together. Should we maybe say definitely do this outside? Absolutely do this outside. Epoxy off-gasses fumes. And wear a mask. As with all DIYs, wear a mask, eye protection, and do this in a well-ventilated area, ideally outside. But a garage can work if you keep the doors open. Even then. Same with spray paint. Please, you only get one body and take care of it. You only get one shot. Do not miss your chance to blow mold. <laughs> oh no. Hey so for collecting blow molds, they were made for a wide range of time, anywhere from the 1940s to the 1990s. If you want to keep it vintage, of course, there are contemporary ones. Yeah, but that's not why we have this podcast, no, is it? No. <laughs> While the absolute most desirable might be made at a Union and Empire plastic core, lots of companies made them. Most of them are marked, which is great, because most of those companies don't exist anymore. And as for prices, they shot up when I wasn't looking. Whoops. Yeah, a, a renewed interest in vintage Christmas and other holiday. That being said, Halloween is, oh my god, where the money is at. Halloween blow molds are easily the highest ticket ones other than just general rare pieces. Last time I saw one, it was going for $300. That was a three-foot-high stack of jack-o'-lanterns with a light. Hell yeah. And even the old blow-mold treat buckets and just little indoor lights are creeping into from $50 to $100, especially as the original molds are remade over and over again. A genuine vintage one is considered quite the find. Um, but yeah, the money is in Halloween. Although there's also quite a bit to be said about less celebrated and less decorated holidays, Valentine's Day blow molds of cupids and hearts on clouds can be quite valuable as well. The turkey I mentioned last sold on eBay for $200, and that was a pretty small turkey. About the size of a man's hand, curiously enough. <laughs> about the size of your average, uh, turkey. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's pretty big. <laughs> it is actually rather large. So yeah, you know, a blow mold is great. There's the guy in Fairhaven who absolutely carpets his entire lawn with his collection, which is always a delight. You know that, you know that Chinese emperor that was buried with an army of terracotta warriors? It's like that, but with blow molds? Like that with Santa's and choir boys. Incredible. It's <laughs> really something. So how can you tell the old ones from the reproductions and contemporary pieces? Get good. Get good is always my first advice. Know what you're looking for. Become acquainted with what the vintage ones look like. This is a lot easier than with some other things because this is a well-documented collection space. Mercifully, anything that crosses over with Christmas tends to be really well documented because Christmas collectors are regimented as hell. Would you say they enjoy making lists and checking them twice? They love making a list and checking it twice. <laughs> if you haven't get good yet and you need some other tips, try turning it over to look for markings. 
embossed markings that will tell you the company are pretty common and sometimes even have a date, which is really, there you go. That's an instant way to check it out. And the company that made it can be looked up to see when they were operating and if it makes sense for the age that you are hunting for. All blow molds that we're gonna be talking about were actually made in the USA. All plastics companies that produced them were American companies. So if you see one that says made in China, that's a new one. My favorite tip and the one I can attest to is the blow mold that is old will feel more substantial. It has a weight and a sort of texture to it that the new ones don't. The new ones are like feather light. This is great for moving them around, setting them up and storing them, but it is a giveaway that this might be newer than you think. Barcode stickers, although most of them haven't survived, will be anything newer than the 1970s. This isn't necessarily reproduction, but it might be not the decade that you want to be collecting in. So just use the barcode as a sign that it is 1970s to current. Another thing you can check for is wear and tear. Now, while these things survived very well, they were generally plopped outside and should have dirt scratches, maybe even some cracks, maybe some tiny holes. I like to look for grinding around where the clip in light was inserted. And sun bleaching are all good signs that this thing's been hanging around for a while. Same as looking for wear at the edge of a bowl. Also, if it still has its original electric plug, there you go. You can acquaint yourself pretty quickly with what an older electric plug looks like, and that will be a pretty easy determiner that it's older. But they're usually swapped out, so I wouldn't rely on this. Also, for the love of God, don't just plug that in if it's old. No, don't do that. I very almost killed myself plugging in a lamp with a bad wiring. Very almost killed yourself, you say? It could have been very bad if the building I was in did not have a sectional automatic shutoff for surges. Oh, well, glad you're alive to podcast today. Which is also why the power went out in the building I was in. <laughs> um, yeah, and it, it didn't look like there was anything wrong with that cord. I'm usually pretty good at judging these things. The cords are modular, please replace them. Just replace them. Don't mess around. If you're an electrician or you know how to replace a wire, do that first. But absolutely secure it in some way that it makes it safe before you plug it in. Don't set your house on fire. But do use it to determine the age of your light-up blow mold. Now, those more informations that I referenced where you can find indexes of types, companies, and years, you can check out such sites as planetchristmas.com, where they have forums dedicated to blow molds, blow-molded.com, where they have exhaustive lists of identified blow molds, and the Facebook group Blow Mold Nation, which is open to all discussions of antique, vintage, and current blow molds. Three very good ways to get good. Or die trying. Or die trying, if you try to plug in an old plug. Very true. <laughs> Sources for today include readingeagle.com. Blow molds were made in the 1940s. Blog.iqsdirectory.com. Blow molding. Antiquesattic.blogspot.com. Blow mold craze. And goldenglow.org, which I highly recommend if you're interested in vintage Christmas collectibles. They are absolutely one of the best places to start. MarthaStewart.com, how to clean, restore Christmas blow molds, and MyWeatheredHome.com, five ways to tell if you have an old blow mold. If you would like to suggest an episode topic or just say hello, you can email us directly at AntiquesFreaksPodcast at gmail.com. You can post in our Facebook group, AntiquesFreaksFriends. You can tag us on Tumblr, AntiquesFreaks.tumblr.com. Or you can try our Instagram at Instagram.com slash AntiquesFreaks. If you like this episode but thought I should have made more rude, lewd jokes about the phrase blow mold, feel free to scroll on down wherever you're listening to this podcast and leave us a review. I wanted more dirty jokes, you might say. How did that not come up even once? 
I thought I'd be classy about it. Yeah, but I'm also here and I'm unscripted. <laughs> I was waiting. Damn, I've been slacking. You got an Eminem joke in, which is, like, pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> and if you need more Antiques Freaks in your week, you can check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash antiquesfreaks, where every week we read and review a chapter of the Victorian Penny Dreadful Varney the Vampire, the Feast of Blood. Special shout out to our patrons for paying our hosting fees and filling our hearts with love. That's right. Oh, wait. <laughs> That's right, love. <laughs> <laughs> So much you. (laughs) And thank you in particular for listening. That's right. You. Au revoir. Goodbye.